Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. This morning's scripture is from Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes' rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go into any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In many Christian traditions, February 14th marks the feast day of St. Valentine. It's largely where we derive our celebrations of this day. History doesn't have a clear biography of a particular man named Valentine, but there are a few people whose stories seem to come together with one person taking the lead. A clergyman, possibly even a bishop from the area of Interamna, Italy. This legend around this Christ follower has him possibly performing secret weddings for Christian couples to help keep Christian men from being drafted into the Roman army, to the healing of the daughter of a judge who was trying Valentine for the practice of this forbidden cult religion. Legend has it that the judge's daughter was cured of her blindness and the judge's whole household was baptized and Valentine was set free until he was arrested again later for his faith. He was possibly sent as high up as to have an audience with Emperor Claudius II himself, and Claudius enjoyed Valentine until he tried to evangelize the emperor, and then that's when Claudius had Valentine beaten, tortured, and beheaded on February 14th, around 269 AD. There is a legend that tells us that this martyr even healed the jailer's daughter and left her a note prior to his execution that was signed, From Your Valentine. How much of that is true? We have no idea. How much of that is shared in our usual celebration of a day that bears St. Valentine's name? Very little. Are Americans anticipated still to spend $22 billion celebrating this Valentine's Day, though? Yep, 
which is down about $6 billion from last year, right before we all went into lockdown. So even today, we look at love as costly and requiring some sort of sacrifice, I suppose. We might lose our heads in spending, but not in a St. Valentine upsetting Emperor Claudius kind of way. Ultimately, our love stories aren't about spending or cards or chocolates, though I'm not going to shame anybody for doing that. By all means, let's chocolate away. When it comes down to it, though, our love story is about showing care and compassion. And today's love story is filled with care and compassion in the midst of hardship. To place this story in the context of Scripture, we learn about Ruth living in the time of the judges of Israel. That's after Joshua claimed the land from the Canaanites and before God conceded to Israel's request for a king so that they could be like their neighbors. It was somewhere in the vicinity of 1200 BC that a family from Bethlehem faced famine, and so they moved to Moab to survive. The parents' names were Elimelech and Naomi, and the sons' names were Malon and Kilion. While there, the sons married women from Moab. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other married a woman named Ruth. And the Bible doesn't really tell us which married which, reason being Elimelech, Malon, and Kilian all died, leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth very alone and very vulnerable. The famine in Judah, the region of Bethlehem, was coming to an end, and so Naomi decides to go back to her people. She basically instructs Orpah and Ruth to do the same. Go home to your people, to your Moabite parents, and live with them. And it's not that Naomi didn't love them or desire their companionship and support, but she knew how exponentially harder life would be in the world for a trio of widows in a highly patriarchal culture. This was an act of pure compassion. She would send off the wives of her sons for their own well-being, even if it meant that she would become more vulnerable and more alone. Orpah took Naomi up on this offer, and nobody can blame her. Everything about life was uphill for her, and so she returned to her family of origin. And we don't really learn anything more about Orpah from that point on. But Naomi urges Ruth to follow Orpah's example, but Ruth will not. She replies to Naomi, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. We don't learn why Ruth stayed and Orpah left. No one acted more or less caring in this situation. Everyone showed love for the purpose of one another's well-being. We see that at work throughout this love story within a love story. And that takes us up to our first lesson this morning. Love acts as a care network for people in times of need. Love acts as a care network for people in times of need. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. It's amazing to me how many love stories include instances of, now, it just so happened, by some strange coincidence that, and then you fill in the blank. And then there's some sort of element of what appears to be chance 
playing a role in the story. It just so happened that a shoulder injury my junior year playing high school football gently encouraged me to join the marching band my senior year instead of the football team, which allowed me to spend significant time getting to know the lovely young woman who would someday be my wife. It just so happened that my parents attended the same NAACP dance in Bloomington where they first met. It just so happened that Naomi and sent Ruth out to harvest at a field that conveniently belonged to a close enough to count as good and far enough away to not be bad relative of Elimelech's. Ruth was doing something that was called gleaning. As a matter of caring for the hungry and those in need, people who grew crops were required to not harvest the entirety of their field. In Deuteronomy 24, we read how the Hebrew people were instructed by God, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. The workers were instructed to leave some behind or leave grain on the ground, and that was specifically set aside as a gift for the vulnerable who did not have means of their own. It was for those who were from distant lands, those who were fatherless and widowed. Ruth was a beneficiary of this instruction because God wanted the Hebrew people to remember when they were mistreated in their times of vulnerability. God commanded them to remember their horrible treatment in Egypt and to live differently, to live with greater love, hospitality, and compassion, to live set apart, not by showing favor to the greatest in our midst, but by showing compassion to the most vulnerable among us. Ruth encountered a faithfulness to that command in the field of Boaz, and Boaz didn't seem to be responding to that commandment out of a sense of duty or obligation. You see that in the way he greets his workers with a blessing, and how they seem to gladly bless him, too. This isn't a guy who puts people on different levels of worth. Boaz seems to legitimately care, care for the foreigner, for the orphan, for the widow, to take care of the workers in his employ. I wonder if it's for that reason that Ruth just happened to arrive at the field of Boaz. Maybe more than coincidence or chance, God was drawing people together who truly embodied caring. That takes us to our second lesson. We honor God's love story through respect and responsibility. We honor God's love story through respect and responsibility. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. It is entirely possible to be romantic without being respectful. You can lavish gifts on someone and take them to fancy places and dote over a person in a way that is manipulative and transactional and has nothing to do with showing a person dignity, equitable treatment, or acknowledgement of their humanity. All that can be done for a crush or a conquest, but that doesn't necessarily mean there is respect for the person on the receiving end of that flattery and attention but I've discovered over time that it's nearly impossible to be loving without respect. Love requires seeing the dignity and humanity of another person. Love mandates that we treat others in ways that honor this simple reality. 
that they too are created to bear the image of our God. And you can most certainly add romance to respect, but without respect, what you're dealing with necessarily falls short of love. Certain situations can tempt us to view others with less respect. When I believe someone's wronged me by lying or manipulation, I confess I'm less likely to feel inclined to show that person dignity and respect. That's a place where I ask God to work in my life, and I want people to know that I will treat them with dignity and fairness. It shouldn't matter whether or not I'm feeling it. But there are some instances where the dynamic of the situation leads us to think of others as less than or treat them with less a sense of dignity and shared humanity. Power dynamics in a system can do that. If someone in a system has authority and insecurity, there's a pretty good chance some folks in that system will feel disrespected. If you've got someone who has influence in a given situation and they have bitterness in their hearts, there's a chance that such a person could show disrespect to others. Here's why I think Boaz was a respectful man. His workers treated Ruth with dignity. There's a good chance that if they were made to feel less than themselves, they would look for a reason to feel superior to someone else, like a poor widow with no choice but to glean. Instead, the workers welcomed her presence, learned some of her story, and offered Boaz a favorable report. There was no insulting or demeaning. There was no humiliation or a need to puff up anyone else. I honestly think Boaz showed respect to those who worked for him, and I think he did that in part because he felt responsible for them as a landowner, as the one who has been entrusted with much. He didn't hold back kindness from his workers, so they had no reason to hold back kindness from Ruth. When he spoke with Ruth himself, he could have pressed his advantage, so to speak. He was a wealthy man with the resources that Ruth needed. It's not unheard of of men in such positions to leverage that and abuse that leverage. Instead, Boaz treated Ruth almost reverently, as though her decision to dedicate herself to Naomi was some sort of sacred act, which it certainly seems to be. He addresses her as daughter, which to our ears sounds maybe patronizing, chauvinistic, or perhaps a little bit creepy. But in that moment, though, it was an invitation for Ruth to be counted as family because of the responsibility she took on for the wife of Boaz's family member, Elimelech. See, Boaz was what the people of that time would refer to as a family redeemer. There are relatives that, in case the things uh, happen like death or if there was a need to sell property, these family members would have the first right of refusal. There was a specific order for family members, and Boaz was second in line for a chance to acquire the land that had belonged to Elimelech. That all sounds good, right? But there was also a part of the deal where a widowed woman alone was unsupported and vulnerable, so the solution was to find the widow, a relative of the deceased husband, to marry. Boaz was also in line for that possibility with Ruth. He was aware of that. Ruth later became aware, and just like last week, we are not copying and pasting the circumstances of this love story onto our lives today. I think there also has to be some degree of attraction going on here. As I read this, it seems like Boaz pretty quickly took notice of the woman who was out working in the field, and Ruth seems to be receiving his kindness and respect as acts of love. Turn to the next chapter, and the implications seem to get about as steamy as the Old Testament likes to get outside of the Song of Songs. In their acts of respect and responsibility, they may also 
have welcomed in love. Their story may not look like our story, and that's fine, because that's the micro love story in the midst of a macro love story. That's the story, that's the crux of all of history, and that love story is big enough to wrap in all of us. And that takes us to our third lesson. Our loving actions can have an impact beyond what we can imagine. Our loving actions can have an impact beyond what we can imagine. Ruth fell at Boaz's feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Ruth suffered loss, the loss of her husband, the home that she knew. Her story was not going the way that she thought it would. Boaz had lots of good things happen in his life. Things were going well, and he didn't appear to need anything. Honestly, he probably could have been fine in perpetual bachelorhood. But their story was part of a bigger story, one that took all of their circumstances, their journey, and the best of who they were, and drew Ruth and Boaz together in ways that impact us still today. Last week, we paused at the story of Ruth and Boaz as we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. Let's look again. In Matthew chapter 2, we read how Ruth and Boaz become a part of this story. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah, Solomon, the father of Reboam, Reboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asab, and then we skip about 21 generations, and we get to verse 16, where it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Ruth was Jesus' 28 greats grandmother. Ruth was Jesus' 28 greats grandmother. Heartbreak and vulnerability could have defined her life. Her name could have been forgotten to posterity, but instead, without seeking a name for herself or a place in a holy lineage, she lived as a loving woman among a loving family, and she showed dedication and courage. She took responsibility that she did not have to take and showed honor in ways that were not required of her. She labored in love, and that love came back to her in some degrees in this life. But when Boaz prayed, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge, reward you fully for what you have done, he couldn't have known either that the fullness of her reward from the God of Israel is to be a part of God's plan to bring rescue, redemption, salvation, and love into the world in the most powerful way, through Jesus. Jesus took on vulnerability for us. He lived as the perfect embodiment of love to build a loving family. He was utterly faithful and courageous. He took on a responsibility that was not his to take and showed honor to humanity in ways that were not deserved. He suffered in love for us, and that love has been poured out for us in countless ways during this life. And we're invited to be a part of God's plan 
to invite others to know his rescue, redemption, salvation, and love. If we choose to let the Holy Spirit lead our lives, the blessing of Boaz will be true for us too. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. That is ours to share. And the joy of that love story will be ours now and for eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are so grateful that in the midst of your great story of love and rescue, that our stories, which sometimes seem so grand in our imagination, sometimes seem so insignificant in larger perspective, God, you will take each and every part of our stories and wrap all of that into the purposes of your kingdom to let others know your love, to let people know the gift of Jesus Christ, that by his life and death and resurrection, we all might know our value in your sight, that we are created fearfully and wonderfully, that we are created with a purpose, a purpose to know your love and to share your love, and to be set free from all those things that would hold us back from knowing that. God, we thank you for this remarkable gift, the incredible invitation to be messengers of this love story. Help us to tell it well with our words, with our lives, with our thoughts and dreams. God, may that story echo not only in our life today, but through all of eternity in ways that we can't possibly imagine. In your hands, we know it's possible. Through Christ, we pray. Amen.